podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to the Road End Podcast, where each week we will speak to a new guest, get to know them and talk all things Liverpool. Hi everyone, welcome to the Road End Podcast. I'm pleased to say today I'm joined by the voice of Anfield, George Sefton. George can be heard in and around Anfield on a match day and he's been a stadium announcer for what surprised me for 51 years. Thanks for joining, George. How are you? I'm uh, great, thank you, for just enjoying the break straight away. I think I'm the only person who uh, is enjoying the break from Premier League football. But I'm just trying to catch up with all the other things I'm not going to get around to doing. You know, with, um, the list is getting longer. My wife you know, gives me jobs to do. and uh, Here we go. And Obviously, Christmas is coming on, so and, uh, at least I've got a bit of time to myself till the 30th of this month, which is nice. Let's begin with how the role came about, George. So what made you apply for the role of stadium announcer slash DJ in the first place? <laughs> My wife and I were at a game in April 1971, uh, midweek game. She used to come to the midweeks with me because um, she worked on the Saturday. She was she had her own little hairdressing business in Liverpool. And um, the guy on the PA made a, a bloomer and he, he was prone to making the odd gaff and I made some sarcastic remark I mean I said it's all right for you standing down here but you couldn't do any better and I took up the challenge went home wrote to Peter Robinson who was the uh, the boss in those days and he, um, apparently they just decided to uh, dispense with this guy for the new season my letter landed on his desk, and next thing I know, I'm in his office. First time I've ever been inside Anfield, you know, as opposed to standing on the, the cop. And uh, they decided to give me a trial, uh, starting in the August of 71, and uh, they haven't got rid of me yet. I'm shocked that it's been 51 years. I, I can't believe that. When I was... Uh... Oh, you know, I don't you worry about it. <laughs> when I was looking up on it, because obviously I've knew your voice since... Going back since I was a kid listening when I'm in the ground. Um, yeah. When I read 51 years, I don't know. I just couldn't wrap my head around that. <laughs> no, it, it gets more ridiculous the more often you say it, truthfully. It, it, uh, I mean, I was glad to get to the end of the first season. I remember coming home and uh, one of my family saying, are you there next season? I said, well, I don't know. I hope so. I'll, hopefully I'll find out I just turn up and that's what happened ever since just turn up and I'm still still going strong yeah, one of these days they'll uh, they'll twig and I'll be I'll be watching from terraces again you've seen probably some of the best players in the history of Liverpool let's be honest um, oh, come yes. and go. but who's your favourite player that stood out obviously there's plenty but there's always one that catches someone's eye so oh well obviously I'm uh, old enough to have seen Johan Cruyff at Anfield twice, I think. You know, starting when for when he was still playing for Ajax. Um, I don't know, Suarez. You know, I love watching Louis, Louis Suarez. I wish he'd, we'd managed to keep him at Anfield, but obviously we didn't. Uh, he's a, still a, you know, a natural goal scorer. I mean, he's uh, he's 30, was he 35 now? But then uh, I think... Looking back, the only I always say I've managed to see all the great players one way or the other. I mean, I was old enough to be at the World Cup in '66, so I saw Pele and Eusebio play. 
The only guy I've never actually seen play in the flesh who I'd like to is Maradona. Although I didn't actually physically bump into Maradona. He came to visit Anfield when he was running the uh, Argentina team. And I was um, in mainstand reception after the game. And he came out. Uh, he was in, in the, he was talking to uh, Fernando Torres. And uh, I thought, I must get a picture. And I, I held my camera above the crowd, took a picture of the two of them. And one of the bodyguards turned around, furious that somebody was taking pictures of the great man. Luckily for me, the guy in front of me had just held his camera up at the same time. And this fellow, you know, got all the earache. And I was standing there, you know, sort of uh, pretending to be somewhere else. And wasn't <laughs> was. But, um, yeah, it, it's it's been great. Although I do say that of all the players I've ever seen, the one I wouldn't swap anybody for is Kenny Dalglish. You know, I've, people say, you know, "Who's your favourite player who's come to Anfield?" And I say, "Kenny." You know, the of the of the the whole lot. I said, "Still, Kenny." You know, wouldn't I wouldn't have swapped him for for anybody. But um, it's it, it's fantastic when you see you know when, when the Champions League is in full flight and. You've got these, uh, of course, it's great when these fantastic teams turn up and we give them a good hiding. Yeah. Uh, that's that's the, the best thing of all. So every so often, the opposition tends to have players that we struggle to pronounce as a fan and yeah. obviously yourself as the stadium announcer. So let's say the Napoli lad as an example. I still don't know how to say his name. And he was an unbelievable player. Let's put it that yes. way. What goes through your head when you have to do them subs? Uh, I must admit, they, I had a run in the other week. I had a big moan. That that guy, the, the fellow from Georgia who's playing for Napoli, who was supposed to be buying, I didn't get a team sheet that night. Um, it's been an ongoing problem this year. That, uh, for some reason, the printer up in match control has been disconnected from the internet. So people have been sending me photos of, of team sheets and some sometimes somebody will physically go down to the press office and come back with one. That night, nobody did. And of course, the first time I saw this guy's name was when he was being substituted. I got so much stick on Twitter. I was furious. But because, you know, I'm proud of the fact that I can cope with all these names because when I was at school, I did Spanish and Russian, right? Once you've done that, you can cope with most things. Obviously, you can read... I can pronounce this. If you can do the Spanish, you can cope with the Italian. If you can read the Russian, you can cope with most of these European stuff. Uh, and I've touched wood, I've got by, apart from Greeks, Greeks throw me still to this day that you get, you know, they've all got names with eight syllables in. They just, you just do your best. But, um, but that night I was, I was fuming. Apart from anything else, the same night. The laptop that playing the, the pre-match music died halfway through um, a lay, a lay, a lay just before the game. And somebody in the local press said, oh, George accidentally turned it off. I didn't do anything. It went on its own. It's not even my laptop here. Um, so that was that was a night to remember and, and no mistake. But I'm, I'm still uh, shouting at people about that. I'm saying, look, when we go back, on the 30th of December, I want everything fixed. Yeah. Or, you know, I'm, I'm not going to be responsible for my action. Because uh, I'm the one at the sharp end. I'm the one that gets the earache and uh, people taking the mickey out of me online. So uh, 
I said, it's no problem. We'll just, it, you know, it's it's not rocket science what they, what they need to do. That's, I mean, the system, you can imagine the size of the in-house network at Hanfield. So it's, um, you know, adding another printer back into the, the network would be no hassle, but there you go. So over the years, the stadium has changed too, both yeah. physically and also, I'd say, the atmosphere. How do you find the modern match day compared to, let's say, the 70s, 80s? Um, what I say is the atmosphere at Anfield is as good as it ever was. It's just that it, it, the atmosphere suddenly ramps up in the last quarter of an hour before kickoff. Going back to the 70s, the atmosphere built up from about midday for a three o'clock kickoff, you know, the, because everybody had to get in there. If you were standing on the cop, you had to get there early, queue up and get in and get your spec. I know I did it in the 60s. Um, nowadays, of course, people are coming to Anfield. They've got a piece of paper in their pocket or nowadays uh, a code on their phone. And that says you're going to get in. You don't have to worry about getting in. And this is where you're sitting. You don't have to worry about finding a spec. So people are coming later, I and mean, people who are coming earlier are going to all these uh, bars and food outlets and goodness knows what around the place. So they've no need to, especially this time of year. Um, if we had a match tonight, people would be thinking, oh, I'm not going out in the cold just yet. I'll uh, just hang around and have another pint and a burger, and then I'll go out you know, just before you know walk alone. Um, and one of my sons was... He was brilliant. He used to uh, go to the the Abbey on the no, oh, I forgot the name of the road, the other side of uh, Stanley Park, and he invariably you know, just plunk into his seat when you never walk alone started. His time was brilliant. Didn't matter what he's doing, he'd be there. And there's a lot of people like that. I know. I, I used to nag him and say, "Look, can you come a bit early and listen to your old dad for twenty minutes?" You know, no, no hardship. But that's the way it is. So I say the atmosphere when it gets going is as as good as it ever was, but just not for as long. I mean, it needs something to ramp them up. I don't know an early goal or you know, a bad tackle early on, or something contentious, just to get them going uh, is is what what it needs. And once it does get going, it's fantastic. What's what would you say was the best atmosphere you've seen Anfield? Probably. Um, Chelsea in 2005. I know that night, you know, it was all to play for. Um, well, it was nil-nil, wasn't it, uh, away at Chelsea? And then basically we had to, we just had to beat them. And um, that night, I I deliberately had the you know the uh, the fade of the full belt. So the row was horrendous, and the crowd got in early. They were all up for it. Certainly. Apart from anything else, it was Chelsea, and they they didn't want to see Jose Mourinho winning anything. Um, and the, from the word go, the atmosphere was absolutely amazing. And I'd, somewhere uh, on YouTube, if I think if you uh, search for the best ever rendition of "You Never Walk Alone," at the end of that game, um, first of all, you might remember there was six minutes added time. It felt like forever, and you can you can see it's. I I remember seeing the, the board go up, and I was screwing my eyes up. I thought, "Am I going crazy, or did he just say six minutes?" But it did. And then you, the cameras are focusing on the dugout, and you can see Rafa looking at his coaching. Did he just say six minutes? And 
uh, 20 yards down, there's the blessed Jose Mourinho. Six minutes, and he's chanting his plays. We've got six minutes. We all he needed was one, you know, jammy goal, and yeah. they, they would have been through. Uh, and at the end of all that, I banged on You Never Walk Alone. The crowd took it up. And at the end of You Never Walk Alone, I gave this little speech. I was really pumped up by then. I said, I've been coming here for, you know, 50 years or whatever it was then. And I said, I've never known an atmosphere like tonight. And that was true. It's, I mean, Barcelona was a great night, but the atmosphere was different. It was celebratory then rather than just, you know, um, egging the, you're getting behind the team it's you know and supporting them through the you know the game yeah i think if i remember back to that night i was in the upper annie road even now i don't think i've heard it as loud but i can't remember the ground rocking as much as it did that oh, no. night. it was bouncing yeah yeah absolutely i mean um I think it was a Barcelona game. I remember I, I said to somebody, and my I genuinely thought for a few minutes that my room was going to come off the top of the, that the tower where I sit and land on the on the cop. I've never known it like that. I really haven't. I mean, sometimes you get people banging their feet on the floor in the seats behind a uh, match control room, and that makes a row and. You know, vibrates the place. But that night, the building was shaking. It really was. It was fantastic. And it, it was quite worrying for me. I was actually in an earthquake once in Chester, of all places. One was, I was, um, that night, I was working for uh, the Bank of Scotland. They had a tall office block. I remember that night, you know, uh, was sort of tea time issue. We were just about to go home and the building was shaking. But um, when that the night I'm talking about when you know, the my room was was vibrating, I really thought it was going to come crashing down. It didn't, of course, but uh, it, it couldn't. I'm sure it couldn't be. Just thinking for five minutes, you know, whoops, we're in trouble here. It's definitely the best rendition of You Never Walk Alone I've ever heard as well, Chelsea. Yeah. I think, obviously, you, you popping that on at the end, um, there was just so much animosity between Liverpool and Chelsea at that time. Oh, yeah. I think... We, we let's be honest, the squad that we had then compared to the squad we had against Barcelona, they were totally different. Liverpool's yeah. squad against Chelsea in 05 was, yeah. let's say, average with a couple of world class players about. Yeah. Against Barcelona, we had the players, maybe not that night in terms of suspensions, oh. injuries, and stuff, but there was more of a we can do this vibe that night where the Chelsea yeah. one was just all about getting behind the team and making it horrible, wasn't it? Yes, that's right. It, it was a completely different mindset. I mean, the Barcelona game, I said, you couldn't have written a script for that. We we turned up, we're 3-0 down to the best team in the world, allegedly. You know, our two-star players are cropped. Um, we got no chance. So I think a lot of people, obviously people have already got their tickets. And I'm sure a lot of people just turned up thinking, well... Um, I can tell the grandkids I saw Messi play and that sort of, all of this. And then, because we get an early goal and people are thinking, no, surely not. And it gets to half time. You think, well, 1 0, we're winning. That's as good as he's going to get. And of course, then Genia Wine Alden pops up and next thing we're level. And then uh, the famous corner that scored, you know, we scored the fourth goal. And I, to this day, I can, you know, I close my eyes now, I can see the thing. Going out and see the the ball boy. It's a trend. Trent walks away and turns around, bang, and the ball's in the back of the net. And I didn't announce the the goal 
simply because I thought the ref was going to say, take it again, nobody was ready. Same. But the referee's running off to the middle of the, you know, blowing for a goal. Thank you very much. And um, you think this is this is just crazy. Absolutely crazy. That the um, But I know, I, I say I put You Never Walk Alone on at the end. And the, you know, then the squad all line up. They've never done that before. I mean, everybody was there, the you know, trainer. I'm sure there were people in that line who really shouldn't have been on the pitch. But uh, the whole thing was just fantastic. It's um, is this one of those nights you think, you know, thank God I was there. Whatever else happens to me in my life, I was there that night, and uh, I can't imagine a better night at Anfield. Although I've been proved wrong before, I remember saying that. You know, 1965, after we beat Milan in the European Cup. 1977, we beat St. Etienne. Nothing will ever get better than this. Then you got Chelsea, and then you got Barcelona. So if there's if there's better night coming along, I hope I'm, I'm there. I know that you play a lot of music from local bands, which, you know, yeah. I think not only the locals, but the city and the bands themselves appreciate that because yeah, yeah. I think it's a really good thing to do gets them out there, gets them the exposure that they, they do deserve. And, you know, a platform like Anfield in front of, let's yeah. say, 53,000 now, what could be better than that? How long have you done that for? And do you get these requests from the bands themselves? Or Yeah, I mean, it's turned into a tradition now. And it, it was something I was really pleased to do because I I know what, you know, how the business works. And people don't suddenly appear from nowhere and get a chart-topping uh, track without working the way up through it. And I, I was telling somebody last night the same story. When I was 12, that sort of age, at school, the rule in at, at our place was that uh, if it was raining at lunchtime and you couldn't go out in the schoolyard, you got a book and you went and sat in the hall, the big hall. My mate and I were... You know, little rebels. What we used to do when it was raining, we wouldn't sit in the big hole with a book. We'd slope off down to the basement and look in one of the science lecture rooms. And quite often there were these two older boys practicing guitars. They brought the guitars in and they'd be practicing guitar. One was called George Harrison and the other was called Paul McCartney. So I, you know, that taught me a, a vital lesson that they were schoolboys like me and they worked their way up they did the clubs they did hamburg you know they played in uh you know the usual pubs clubs and whatever around liverpool and look what happened to them and you know there's over the years this city has been has had different eras of, of talent. We had the 60s, we obviously had the Beatles and the Searchers and the, you know, people like that. And then you get into the 70s, the, uh, the punk era, and then you go through the Frankie Goes to Hollywood, uh, Lightning Seeds, Zootons, and, and, and so it's gone. Every decade seems to have a, a collection of, of talented artists, and this is no different. If you go around all the little bars and clubs in Liverpool, the, the the talent on show is amazing and it, it's to be encouraged really if I, if I can help I know along the way people have, have said the same thing that you're getting it's just the psychological effect of hearing your music being played to 50 odd thousand people it's uh it's it gives you a great boost I know uh more than once I've had stories from people that that said it was a record producer sitting in the crowd. I'm like, they're good, who are they? And, and I know a couple of bands have got a contract 
was a direct result of that. And I, you know, I, I know the lightning seeds, you know, I still appreciate that. I, I, I'm now friends with uh, Ian Brodie's son, Riley, who, of course, was the subject of the, the big hit, Life of Riley. And now he's he's grown up, he's playing in his dad's band. And um, I, we talk, talk to each other and they... They appreciate what happened in the first place. Ditto the Zootons and the Coddle. You know, um, I, I had all their demos when they, they started out, and uh, it's fantastic to see what, you know, all these years later, they're still, you know, a big name, and, and they've, they've actually evolved and got better and better as the years have gone on, in my humble opinion. But they, it's it's just, it gives you such a buzz to get just a small hand in that. You know, I was never actually going to be a musician, but that this is the next best thing, helping them along and uh, doing what I do. Definitely. I spoke to the lads from the Cheap Thrills on an oh, episode. Yes, yes. So I've done one of the first episodes was with them. And yeah. I was at the game. I can't remember which one it was. It was either Ajax or City. I can't remember when you played their song Codependence. Codependence. Well, yeah, it's Codependence they're using as... Um, background on one of the LFC retails uh, commercials now that, that that's great because they they don't come any more local I mean they they only live around literally around the corner around this part of Liverpool and uh, that, that's fantastic I've got all the early demos I keep sort of winding them up and say one of those you know another 10 years they'd be gone on eBay that'd be my pension if you just keep <laughs> going you know I wish I'd had some Beatles demos from yeah, you know, going back all those years, but there you go. Just keep that coming because, like you've, you, like you've said, people have got contracts out of it, but also the appreciation from the lads. Yeah. I should say the quality makes it very easy for me to play. So I mean, you're playing the tracks, you think that's as good as anything you're going to hear, and like this deserves, you know, uh, exposure, and it, it it should be out there we should be talking well we haven't got top of the pops anymore but you know things like you know uh, jules holland i listen to religiously and that you know he he's brilliant at bringing, you know, getting together artists you've probably not heard much about and, and I, I think some of these guys i think why aren't you on the tv and mtv and all the rest of it because you, you're really so good and I say the quality of the stuff I've got is heartbreaking trying to squeeze it all in sometimes. You've got a book out, The Voice of Anfield. Tell us a little bit about the book. Yeah, three years ago now, I got a phone call from Peter Hooten of The Farm. Um, and he said, are you busy tomorrow afternoon? I said, no. He thought, um, I want you, there's somebody I want you to meet. Uh, come, we'll have a coffee in town. So I met up with him and he introduced me to his literary agent because you know Peter... Uh, there's a lot of books nowadays. And um, the two of them were looking at me. They said, look, you're coming up to half a century at Anfield. But you must have a few tales to tell. I said, well, yeah. And they said, well, you thought about writing a book? I said, well, I had a sort of half-hearted one out a few years ago. But um, these guys were talking about the prospect of a national publisher you know, doing it properly, I think is the best expression. So I went home, got stuck in. Uh, I spent hours sitting at this desk here with uh, Wikipedia pages, old diaries, old programs, going through CDs and whatever. And by the following spring, I had a, a manuscript ready ready to go. It was, it was weird, actually, because I was just getting starting to get the thing together finally when lockdown started. The day 
lockdown started well, today i was planning to sit here and sort of lock myself in a room for a couple of weeks to get it all together so i i i was one of the few people who benefited from from lockdown to be honest because i was sat here and then lo and behold we get through the last may it was uh it was published in hardback and now it's out in uh, in paperback just in time for christmas folks ho ho <laughs> It's incredible, you know, the the satisfaction that gives you to see your life in a book like that, and the people appreciating it. And of course, the the day it was published, the the somebody from the publishers got me onto Channel Four, uh, Steph's packed lunch. I was chatting away to Chris Kamara and Steph McGovern, and, uh, and then they said Kenny wrote the forward. I said, yeah, and they said, well, let's hear what he's got to say. And Kenny pops up on the screen behind me. And, uh, that was nice. I made up. Well, you know, obviously, I'm, Kenny's been at Anfield forever, so I'm, it was nice to see him. It was no great shock. And then all of a sudden, Jürgen popped up, and I hadn't a clue this was coming off. And Jürgen's telling the world what a great book it is, what a wonderful bloke I was. And when I got home, my wife said, I don't know how you held, you held it together. And I said, well, neither do I. I was in absolute utter shock when I heard all that because God bless him, Jürgen did uh, a power of good for the book. I know for about two days I crept into the bestsellers just just over that weekend and uh, I thought that'll do that and you know, shoot me now because it's not going to get any better than that. And um, it did all right. It's you know, the the hardback still selling, um, and the, we're, we're flogging the paperback at the moment, which is which is doing okay. And um, I'm I'm really you know, really pleased with the out. I've got files here for the follow up book, which you know be out in hopefully three or four years, and uh, if and when I get to the end of my tenure at, at Anfield, maybe or when they throw me out or have this deep suspicion, I'll probably peg out having a heart attack when Liverpool equalise in the 98th minute or something. You know? <laughs> if that happens, my family will have to get all the, the notes together and finish the book off. But it, it's, um, it, it, I'm just so pleased with the with the outcome. And uh, on the paperback version, the, the quote from Jürgen is on the front cover. And, uh, you know, that's not just... Just unbelievable, but I'm, deep down, I say I'm still a Liverpool fan first and foremost. And um, to hear you know, the Liverpool manager, especially somebody of his stature, say things like that is just unbelievable. It just, it really is surreal. Congratulations on the book. Where can people find it? Oh, it's on Amazon. It's in all the good bookstores. I know Waterstones have got them in uh, in Liverpool, obviously, because I, I was there last night. Signed a few for people and. Um, Google my name or Google the voice of Anfield, you'll find it there. We asked our guests to choose their ultimate five-a-side team who they've seen live playing for Liverpool. Let's find out what they said. Each episode, I finish with guests' ultimate five-a-side from watching Liverpool. Now, I haven't given you any time for this. A goalkeeper and four outfield players for your five-a-side team, so feel free. Wow. Um, Keepers, easy, I think. Uh, Ray Clements, Still the best keeper ever. Uh, I would have thrown Virgil in them with uh, some work if he wouldn't let anybody past him. Oh, other than that, where'd you start? Stevie G's got to be in there. Captain Fantastic. Now, we're struggling after that. I know um, somebody asked me to uh, a while ago to name my favourite 11. I think I got it down to about... 36, 38 players in the end. <laughs> you know, you've got to have Kenny in there too, obviously. Yeah. 
Uh, and certainly a Levener side, if you've got Kenny, you've got Javier Rush alongside because they were a part of Ditto. Could you leave Kevin Keegan out? And if you put Kevin in, you've got to have Toshak alongside him. And the centre-backs, Vermagil is unique and he could play with anybody, but Alan Hansen and Mark Lawrenson were a pair, as were uh, Phil Thompson and Emily New. You know, they... I mean, I'll probably put Emlyn in out of all that lot. Where are we up to now? That That's um, Ray Clement, Kenny, Stevie, uh, Virgil, and um, number five. He's got to, got to be another all-rounder, really, having a, a midfield dynamo type. But, yeah, so Ken, yeah, Kenny, uh, Ray Clement, Kenny, Stevie G, Virgil van Dyke, and Emlyn Hughes. Lovely. Nobody can beat them. You know, no five. <laughs> any circumstances. I love it that even with the, the amount of games and the best players you've seen, yeah. Stevie's in the obviously he's my generation and I'm just explaining to my boy now how good of a player he was and what he done yeah. for our football club. I, I don't think yeah. I'll ever see it again. It's great to hear that you put him in there. Yeah. It's it's just I'm so lucky. I'm obviously I'm a baby boomer. I was born just after World War Two. Well, I missed all the you know, all of that. I've seen all the great teams of Liverpool through the years. Uh, I know people, some of the older guys used to be at school with me. They used they'd go on about Albert Stubbins, you know, they uh, who was just before I started taking an interest. Although my dad used to go and stand on the cop every weekend for years, starting in the nineteen twenties. Uh, and he used to go on about Elisha Scott, the goalkeeper. But obviously, I've never seen him. I don't think I've any seen any films of Elisha Scott in action, so I, I don't know. But Ray Clements, you know, he was he was amazing. And I, I know we've had some cracking keepers, and we've got a crack, cracking keeper at the moment. But I don't think anybody ever come close to Ray Clements. As you say, going back through the years and seeing all the greats in Anfield, and uh, yeah, I even saw Billy Little play. He was just coming to the end of his uh, career when I started going. Uh, and afterwards, I got to, to chat to him after games on Anfield. My dad's hero. I think you know, even the, the, the people who, who were just, just about old enough to see him play would, would idolise him. He was, it, it, it was sad that he missed a large chunk of his career because of World War Two. Uh, and likewise, you know, Bob Paisley was in the same boat. People forget. You know, I'm, I'm just so lucky to have been in the right place at the right time. Yeah, well, George, it's been really, really nice to have the chat with you today. My it's pleasure. Great, your stories, and obviously, I really hope the book does even better than it's doing now. So, good luck with everything. Thanks for coming on. Busy, busy few months coming up. But one we look forward to, hopefully. Okay. Thank you. Okay. Cheers. Thank you. Thanks to everyone for listening to today's episode. Don't forget to follow our social media, twitter.com slash the road end pod, and also our Instagram page, instagram.com forward slash the road end pod.